The Talking Point with Kathy Motlasana. Weekdays, 9 a.m. till midday. All right, 13 after 10. Let me invite onto the show Dr. Badili Hotla, former statistician general, and we're going to be reflecting then on the employment figures, specifically from um, those quarterly numbers released by Statist- Statistics uh, South Africa yesterday. Dr. Lehotla, good morning to you. Good uh, morning, Nakazi. Uh, good morning, listeners. Uh, Farai Mubaiwa is Chief Partnership Officer at the Youth Employment Service. Farai, good morning to you as well. Good morning and thank you so much for having us. All right, and a little later we'll be joined by Letiwe Sinodumongosi, who is a network mobilizer at Youth Capital. In fact, she's on the line. Letiwe, good morning to you. Good morning, and thank you for having us, Kevin. Uh, Dr. Lehotla, let's just perhaps begin with unpacking um, the the numbers that were given to us yesterday. The unemployment rate edging slightly lower to 33.9%. It's from uh, 34.5% in the first quarter of the year. Of course, interestingly, is that we had the creation of new jobs, but also the increase in, in unemployment, which almost offset each other? Uh, yes, because yes, I think, uh, you know, uh, it, it's like measuring uh, how much ice is on Mount Kilimanjaro. At times I get very desperate around uh, talking about this number, 33.4, 35. I mean, the situation is dire. Uh, and whether it's a point five or point six, it's like a cat trying to distribute cheese amongst mice, and then it finally eats all the cheese. So I think we need to step back and say, what has been the gain in South Africa? These policies are failing, and they're failing the youth dramatically. So let's just look at the young people, uh, what we call the youth, 34 and below, up to 15, who actually have to work. In 2008, the numbers of these people that were working, absolute numbers, were higher than the numbers that we have now. And it's how many years later? 2008 to now, that's about 14 years later, that we find that there are fewer youth working than they were in 2008. Uh, there were 4.8 million that were waiting in 2008. It's 4.4 million now. And against the numbers that are growing of the youth, this starts with a, a wasteful education system where we have 1.2 million children born every year. Um, the promise is that they will get them a trick, all of them. Of course, some of them die. But only 600,000 will write metric out of that 1.2 million that were born, minus the number of deaths that have occurred. Of those that write, only 200,000 will actually get a decent pass at metric. So every year we are pumping out, wasting 900,000 lives. So this 0.3 or whatever, 33%, 35%, absolutely becomes nonsensical. As a measure. I mean, I'm not saying uh, that they say is not doing a good job. It does a good job at measuring. But the policy responses 
becomes very fanatical around whether it dropped by point something or increased by point something. It's all the same. Nothing is changing. Mm. And we need to look at the macro drivers and the state of the youth in the country. And I'm giving you these numbers to just articulate Mm. the seismic danger that uh, and there's uh, existential threat that this country is facing. Farai, let me bring you in here, you know, uh, and and understand the 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 broader picture that Dr. Lehotla is talking about, right? Because he's saying if we are tracking the unemployment numbers over a period of time, it's inconsequential the the margins that we're moving between, because largely we've been looking at pretty much the same level. Of, of of unemployment, if it you know where it's not getting worse, and yet adding more young people who would have needed jobs, I imagine you at the Youth Employment Services um, may have a different look. Every every number counts. You're working on on targets and and how many people you have been or have not been able to put into employment. Mm. And you know, I think that we find ourselves within a difficult. Um, situation where, yes, we have seen a decrease in unemployment to 33.9 in the second quarter of this year, but it still reflects high levels of unemployment within the country. And you're absolutely right that from Yes's angle, we are focusing on how do we get youth into employment and keep young people employed or encourage young people to take the entrepreneurial route. So, I mean, it definitely is um, is a matter of, of saying, you know, every job counts, but we realize that we work within an ecosystem through the work we do at YES. So, YES leverages funding from the private sector to, to be able to create these jobs for unemployed youth. And in three years, we have, we, we, we've created over 83,000 work experience opportunities for youth from about 2,200 of, of the corporates. And, of course, when you're looking at the greater numbers of youth unemployment, the 83,000 is significant, but it's a drop in the ocean. And as such, we have to continue to actually push. I agree with Dr. Nachino in terms of the, of, of the macro views of unemployment. We have to look at within the ecosystem, what best practice can we share with one another? And how do we engage between the private sector and government to actually look at how we address structural issues which are exacerbating the unemployment crisis we face? And what can we learn from the best practice we each have to actually increase the employability of young people, to actually create more pathways into employment for young people and to remove the barriers that young people face when establishing their SMMEs. I think the stats, as we see them now, yes, it is an improvement, but it still does highlight the fact that we are in the midst of an unemployment crisis within our country. And the only way in which we can address this crisis is through partnerships from government, private sector, from NGOs, and, and from youth themselves to say what are levers from a policy perspective we can move, what are structural changes we can make, and what are some some programmatic areas that we can apply. You know, Faraya, I'm, I'm, I'm listening to the update that, that you're giving us in terms of 
the number of jobs you've been able to create at the Youth Employment Service. And they've been shifting targets, right? Uh, over the years, we have seen um, what were very big estimates from close to on a million jobs that the president had wanted to create through this Youth Employment Services. And, you know, depending on which year you're looking at, they're shifting. They're shifting targets. Why? Why is that the case? I appreciate that question. You know, and I think I think that when we start an initiative, there is of course excitement in terms of what we can achieve. Because yes, itself is so unique. We are the only initiative within the country which 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 incentivizes the private sector to create jobs for unemployed youth. Scale. And in turn, and in turn, rather, they can get um, their BE levels up. And we've got some calculations in terms of how they do this. Having said that, we had ambitious targets and goals. But what other um, the organisation has made 83,000 youth jobs in just three years with no funding from government at all? Moreover, with the impact of COVID-19, we saw our our, our numbers of jobs and the sign-ups from, from corporates decreased significantly. So what we then said is how do we reposition that, that target of 1 million jobs as not a yes-specific target, but a target for the ecosystem because, because we, are not, we are not the only um, the NGO which is creating jobs for unemployed youth. We work within an ecosystem. So as such, from the ecosystem partners we have, which include, yes, the NYDA, the presidency, Harambi, youth capital as well. How do we all work towards a target and how do we leverage best practice? And I'm so excited now about, about the work we do with the National Pathway Management Network, which is run by the presidency and which brings um, stakeholders, key partners, experts, together into one platform each month to actually share share the best practice and leverage. Because I think historically, in actually addressing the youth unemployment crisis, we've worked a lot in silos. But if we have targeted approaches and grouped approaches where we can leverage the innovation from the private sector, where we can leverage the reach from the public sector, then we can definitely achieve the targets. Let you, let, you, let me come to you, uh, and of course you are a mobilizer uh, at Youth Capital, and get your reflections on, on part of what Farai has, has been saying, and you know, the, the fact that they are effectively doing the best they can under the circumstances. Look, we're sitting with millions of young people unemployed. We're talking about 83,000 job opportunities in three years. It's going to take a long time at this pace to even have any significant dent on those unemployment figures. Absolutely, and I think um, what must be considered is that a young person's journey to the labour market um, is marked with roadblocks. And for I spoke about the barriers um, that young people face, and as youth capital, we've identified the fact that a young person's 
journey to employment um, starts from when they are at a place of learning and they are heard of there. And so until we remove the roadblocks, then we will not see the debt so we can create the jobs. But if young people are not able to enter the labor market because, for example, of the cost of looking, how expensive it is to look for work, if a young person does not have a strong network, social connections that can help them um, you know, gain the skills they need to enter the labor market, know where the opportunities are, until those kind of roadblocks are removed, um, then you will indeed not see the dent um, in the youth unemployment. You will not see progress when it comes to the unemployment figures among young people. So to Farai's point, just to echo Farai's point about the need for collaboration, as you capital, you know, we also believe that we need a collective response. Um, we need the private sector to use uh, platforms like SAU.mob where opportunities are made visible for young people, a platform that is data free for young people. We need more companies to be linked to SAU.mob so young people can have access to what op- the opportunities that do exist. But we also need ordinary South Africans to step in and support young people. We'll be launching a campaign in the month of September where we'll be highlighting the value of young people having strong social connections where ordinary South Africans can do simple tasks like, for example, coach a young person, um, you know, teach them how to present themselves for a job interview, um, show them how to look for opportunities because that's an important um, way of supporting a young person to enter the labor market. Dr. Lehotla, let me come. Let me come back to you here because, again, it speaks about the fact that we are almost stuck in a structural system that makes it impossible to move beyond just the little bits that we can get here and there. Yes, we are looking at crumbs, and I appreciate what. Uh, 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 they, my panelists are trying to do, uh, but uh, they, are, they are working within a constraint defined system that does not aim at solving the problem. So they'll pedal as fast as they can, uh, waste their energy, get 83,000 job opportunities, it's called. Um, I don't know whether the 83,000 are still in jobs. But it doesn't reflect in the national numbers. I mean, the young people have lost their absolute share of employment over the last 14 years uh, when they are actually growing size of the population. So these marginal things that are done are important, but uh, certainly they are not going to move the needle. And they can, of course, work with the presidency, work with that one, and work with that one, and they can drop the names as they come of important people. They are not changing the needle. So there's something fundamentally wrong that has to be done within which the contribution of these people, younger people who are leading these things, have to take part. But uh, this one of politeness and so on, it's not going to change the middle. You've got to crack these things at the policy level. It's not about preparing a CV. Uh, it's almost like when you're in the United States, they say, for as long as you work hard, you'll get there. The environment is terrible. And I think that's what we have to understand.
and appreciate so that a different way of looking at this thing is done. I mean, the policies are inherently anti-employment. That's what they are. Of course, now you pile up new things, new technologies, which are making things quite difficult. But the school system is just not producing. We are destroying 900 lives every year. And those 900 lives, 1,000 lives, have no possibility of getting any job. So what my colleagues on the panel are saying it's not, it's not going to work. It's heroic, but it's not going to work. I, I so, want to, uh, Dr. Lohotla, let me do this. I want us to talk about how then we begin to move that needle, what needs to be in place um, to significantly move that needle after the latest 1030 News headlines. Of course, I'll also take your contributions to this conversation, 086-000-2032. I also know that we uh, need to let Farai go. She, of course, is uh, the Chief Partnership Officer at the Youth Employment Service. All right, we continue the conversation on the talking point, specifically focusing on those employment figures uh, affecting in, in, in very high proportions young women. Dr. Badilo Hotla is the former statistician general, and we're also joined by Letiwe Sinodu Mongosi, who is a network mobilizer at Youth Capital. Uh, Farai, who is part of the Youth Employment Service, has had to leave. And, and I think the important point that has been made here is that when we look at even the job opportunities that have been created by a, an organization or initiative such as YES, it's that it's exactly that. These are work opportunities. Sometimes it means that it's, it's internships of sorts. These are not necessarily jobs um, that are created for young people. So, Dr. Lihotla, how do we then begin to shift the needle dramatically, you say, the answer lies in our policies. Yes, uh, it lies in our policies. I mean, uh, you asked the right question right at the beginning. You said you aim for a million, you only have 83,000. What happened? And I think that's the question that a policy should answer right up front. It cannot be a po- something that is answered in the course of implementation. Uh, in fact, it was always going to be a target of less than 83,000 job opportunities. It was never going to be more than that. So these wild dreams of uh, that we want to do in a million, and then your policies are definitely not taking you there. Then there must be madness in the design of policies, or madness in those who think they can achieve that, when right from the design, there is a fault line that says it will not happen. And that's what our policies are. So if you ask uh, the president or the minister of finance, how many jobs is this thing that you are doing going to create? When you model it, it's not going to give you any 100,000 jobs a year. So you know from design that there's a fault. And then we, in a very mad-like, man kind of uh, approach, we continue doing that and say we want 2 million, 3 million, whatever number of jobs. So the designing policies in Ekasi, it's terribly wrong. We need to design policies such that they will actually stimulate job creation. Those that we have at the moment, 
including the economic recovery and reconstruction plan, will not achieve that. We have modeled these things. So we propose a different approach, which is a six-pillar policy that looks at macroeconomic reforms, not only microeconomic. I mean, we have been obsessed with microeconomic reforms plus master plans, doing more of the same, and then making even much more noise around that, more back than bite. Microeconomic reforms without shifting the macroeconomics are not going to deliver what we are saying. For as long as we have these restrictive macro reforms and say that uh, our macroeconomic platforms are sound, they are not sound. They cannot continue to create this. I mean, look, over 24 quarters, over 24 years, we've actually found that uh, our real interest rates are higher in 18 of those quarters. They're higher than the, the GDP growth. So there's something wrong with our monetary policy dealing with inflation. We cannot only target inflation when inflation in still its case is the relationship between jobs and, uh, and, and, and the inflation. And then you only target on one. It can't be right. We've got to target on both and then adjust our policy instruments to ensure that jobs are created. Our policy design, therefore, has this serious um, uh, uh, asymmetry uh, that looks at only one thing and not the others. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. So in the absence of removing that asymmetry and looking at the interconnectedness of macro and micro and industrial policy and social policy, we are not going to crack it. For now, we are trapped in an asymmetric policy design that... uh, aims at encouraging investment in financials in state of manufacturers. I want to... That's where we are trapped. And uh, all these things that uh, we are looking at are not going to give Mm. not an impact as long as we are in that kind of design. That's the tragedy. Let let me come back to you. Do you get a sense uh, as you go about doing the work that you are uh, as somebody who is a mobilizer in the space that you are working against the odds and, and, you know, in in many ways potentially flogging what may be a dead horse, that, yes, you can get to a point where you've prepared all the young people you have with the right kind of CVs, with the right kind of interview skills, etc., etc., but there will still only be so many positions available at the end of the day for them. Um. Yeah, it is, it is, it is quite a mission. Um, and, and I think what we have found as a capital is that when designing interventions, what's important is that young people who go through opportunities should be given transferable skills. So what, what we have heard, or what I've heard actually from talking to young people, is that when an opportunity is presented to them and they participate in that opportunity, they often need that opportunity without the transferable skills. So what ends up happening is that um, the same young people who are stated to have received uh, a public opportunity may end up finding themselves unemployed again because while they were in that opportunity, they were not given the skills to find other um, more long-term employment. And so our cry is not only for young people to be supported in terms of, you know, building their um, CVs um, 
having strong social connections, but also our cry is that when a young person does experience an opportunity, they need to leave that opportunity with the skills um, that will allow them to access long-term employment. Granted, there won't be a job for every young person. And so for young people who aspire to start their own businesses, when they go through a particular opportunity, they, they should leave that opportunity with skills that will set them up for starting um, a small enterprise or really working on their hustle. Because what we know as well is that while young people are looking for work, they may also be hustling on the side. Um, so they may have side hustles that they use to generate some kind of income. And so when that young person has a side hustle, gets the chance to be part of an opportunity, when they leave that opportunity, the hope is that they can walk away with skills that they can use to further their side hustle. Um, so, yeah, I think just to, to echo what Dr. Bali said about the design of policies, it is important that when policies are designed to respond to the issue of unemployment, they really take into consideration um, the fact that young people need to leave that opportunity better off than they were before they um, got to be part of that opportunity. Let me go to KZN. Romeo, good morning. Uh, good morning, and also your guests, including also the SFM uh, family members. Uh, good morning, all of you. How are you? Well, well uh, thanks, Romeo. Go for it. Kezi, I would want you to ask a question. I thought I heard one of your guests talking about you. Uh, the unemployment, he was comparing 2008 and uh, uh, to date, that 2008, or was it 2008, if I heard correctly, the employment of youth was a little bit higher, unlike today, we have got a far less number, meaning to say that numbers of employees are going down. My question is, Recently, the Minister of Home Affairs recruited 10,000 people to work at Home Affairs. Not only talking about only Home Affairs department. If people have to phone, we have got so many graduates sitting at home. Does it mean to say the education of South Africa, it doesn't match with the system of uh, the government employment system? Does it mean to say the education is not worth it to be for that graduate to be employed, considering the fact that the social and development, social workers, there are many people who are complaining that there are so many vacancies there and they cannot be recruited. Who are those people who are there? If the education system is not correct, why not correcting? Because we can't keep on talking for each and every year that the system of education, the system of education, why not first correct the system of education so that it goes in line with the private sector and the public sector? It will be easier for someone to leave university knowing very well that he is going to work at Sasso, he is going to work at Unilever, he is going to work with those qualifications that are needed in the job market. Thank you. All right, Romeo, thanks. And, you know, I think it's a combination of, of, of the issues that, that you've raised, actually. Uh, Colin in Cape Town, good morning. Good morning. Good morning, Cathy. Good morning to your guest. Hi, Colin. You know what creates employment 
is looking after something, maintain, maintenance, maintaining. Now, if you take every municipality in this country and start maintaining, painting, cleaning up, parks, repairing schools, all those things they do the right through the year, right through the year, because there are thousands of schools that need repairs, hospitals that need painting, this and that. So if council, mayors, whoever they are in municipalities, stop sleeping and do their job and repair their own house, the municipality buildings, schools, hospitals, and things like that, that will create, and parks and all the potholes in the country, that will create work. Thanks, Kathy. All right. Radio. All right, Colin. Thanks for that contribution. Uh, Dr. Lohutla, do you agree? I do. But uh, you see, it depends how that uh, maintenance is undertaken. If it's outsourced, uh, then uh, there's just a lot of churn. So there's no growth in those who get employed because then you'll tend that the tender is given this one, the next after three years is given to another person, and they come with their new people. Uh, and when you create that kind of churn, you cannot have growth. The rolling stone gathers no moss. And these are the kinds of policies that really breed corruption. So they can't lead to growth. So maintenance, where the municipality comes with its own staff and doesn't outsource, but continuously maintain and build skills of those people. Then they can have stable incomes, stable things for their own families. And then suddenly when you approach things that way, then you can actually grow the economy rather than outsource uh, to different cleaning companies and so on and create churn and confusion. On the question of um, the number of people employed in 2008, indeed, there were more young people employed in 2008 in the age group 34 to 15, 34 going down to 15, than are employed today against the growing population. And at the heart of it is that bad education system that sends 900,000 children every year to the wolves. So, and yes, they, they go to the wolves every year. And it doesn't surprise that now we have 12 million people who actually are not in employment. And of the 14 million or 15 million that we have employed, uh, only 5 million of them actually, uh, the rest are in marginal kinds of jobs. So we have a very toxic environment. And when you unpack and try and analyze, it's at the policy level, significant policies, failure in our system, particularly that is driven by serious outsourcing, a serious financialization of the economy, uh, and the reckless privatization, uh, which doesn't look at how to build uh, resource, build, uh, build, 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 build skills. Right. I mean, if you looked at the infrastructure uh, of uh, apartheid, of course it was saving a few people, but if you look at that infrastructure of apartheid, that had ESCOM, Telcom, uh, don't know what it was called, uh, Spurnet, uh, ISCO, and everything. There were attached to these things schools that were training people into doing things. So that infrastructure is continuously being destroyed. ESCOM divided into all kinds of things. Uh, all arguments around that it is not privatized. It's going to be privatized. 
Transnet has been privatized. So you don't have a, an infrastructure that is government-led that taps into this infrastructure to make the private sector do what is the private sector has to do. Mm. So you have a shrinking role of government, including finally education will have to be privatized in total because government is saying so is health, so is everything. So there's no need for a government. That's where we are heading to. All right, Dr. Lehodla, we're going to leave it there with you for this morning. Letiwe, then, you know, in, in that kind of context, what do, what do you encourage young people to do? I think um, there's so much to be said, um, but I think my, my encouragement to young people is, you know, to look to those around them that can support them. I just want to stress the importance of social connections because a lot of the time, um, especially from my engagement with young people, one of the major um, challenges when it comes to accessing the few opportunities that do exist is information. And so my encouragement to young people is look look within your network um, that you can reach out to, to get advice on how to look for it, how to better position yourself an opportunity. But also, I'd like to say to other young people to be there for each other. So if you are an employed young person, if you're a professional, um, reach out to a young person in your network and share with them how they can better position themselves to access an opportunity. Because we have seen that who you know plays a big part in you being able to access future opportunities. And lastly, to your listeners, I just want to stress um, that we'll be running a campaign around social connections. So if you're listening and you want to be um, support to a young person, be on the lookout on our socials to learn more about the different actions that you can take to support a young person, access an opportunity and better position themselves for one. Letiwes Nodumo Ngosi is a network mobilizer at Youth Capital. Dr. Padi Lehotla, former statistician general now with uh, the Inglula Miti Scenarios Trust. Uh, that's where we'll leave it for this morning.